For JT. JT has arrived and so we start. Thought he might wait between innings of the old Miss Arkansas game, but no, he showed up right on time. By the way, it's tied up one to one if any of y'all care about that. And, and I am pulling for Ole Miss, by the way, too, so anyhow. Huh? Well, I can pull for a lot of teams, but you got now we'll talk privately about the teams I pull against. So, anyhow. Well, this is uh, one of my nicest shirts that I own. See, I dress, I dress as nice as I can. See, that A stands for awesome. See, huh? Awful. Somebody says for atheist. You know. Yeah. Yeah. When my son went to Auburn, because that's the only place that had the Marine Corps option. They said, well, I guess you'll start pulling for Auburn now. I said, well, I'll be an atheist first. So that's not going to happen. Oh, do what? Do what? All right, we are glad all of you are here. Isn't it nice to be in a cool building? Can you imagine being outside even under the shade? Man, and it's going to get hotter, they say, too. So, But it's nice in here, and... It's always encouraging that we can come here midweek and study God's Word. We have a lot of folks gone, uh, several out of town on vacation, and I know there's a lot of folks at camp uh, this week. Even those that may not have gone to camp have gone up there to visit. So we're missing quite a few folks tonight, but we're glad that you're here, and uh, I hope that uh, you'll take uh, the bulletin. If you've got a copy of that, there's an updated list on the sick, and so uh, we want to remember all those in our prayers and uh, do what we can to encourage them. And uh, I like to always say, you know, if you could just make it a point to encourage one person every single day, maybe it's a text, maybe it's a telephone call, maybe it's a visit or something, uh, you can do it in 30 minutes, no more than an hour, just 30 minutes, you know, take 20 or 30 minutes and encourage somebody some way every day. What if everybody did that? What would happen? Morale would go sky high, wouldn't it, if everybody would do that every single day. Before we begin tonight, though, uh, let's have a word of prayer. Will you bow with me? Our Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the day. We're thankful for the opportunity we've had to come here tonight to, to worship You, to study Your Word. We pray that You'll bless us in our study tonight, that we'll learn things that uh, can help us in our everyday Christian living. Father, there are many, many we know that are sick. Uh, some... Uh, much more than others, some who are terminal. We pray that you would bless each of those, Father. You know their needs, and we pray for the doctors and the nurses and uh, those in the medical field that are treating them, that they will get such treatment that they can be restored to a portion of their health. We're also mindful of many that continue to grieve over the loss of loved ones. We pray that your hand of comfort and strength would be upon them. Father, we're so thankful for the church here that meets at Boonville. We pray for the leaders here. We pray that you would bless them with wisdom. And we pray that uh, they would continue to lead us in the paths of righteousness. 
Father, we are so thankful for your son, Jesus, who came to this earth and he died on the cross for our sins. And it's his name that we pray. Amen. All right. We're talking about Lot tonight. I know uh, uh, a lady was teaching a a class of five-year-olds about Lot and Lot's wife. You know how she looked back and turned to a pillar of salt. And little Johnny so exuberantly said, yeah, my mom was driving a car the other day and she looked back and turned into a telephone pole. <laughs> but uh, it, it's, it's amazing what uh, kids can uh, come up with sometime. But we're going to talk about Lot tonight. And uh, it's one of my favorite characters as far as lessons that are very practical for us to learn. Now, when Abraham came out of Ur the Chaldees, he brought with him Lot. Of course, Lot is the nephew of Abraham, the son of his brother Haran, who had died. And Lot continued to dwell with Abraham, and I can imagine he kind of looked up to Abraham. Uh, probably Abraham was a mentor uh, to Lot, and he was content to dwell with Abraham into the land of Canaan, and then as they went down into Egypt, and then back into Canaan. And both Abraham and Lot were quite rich. They were wealthy. They had a lot of cattle. They had a lot of silver and gold, flocks and herds and many tents. Uh, they had many, many servants. These were just well-to-do individuals. Now, a problem arose because of their wealth and because of the cattle that they had, the flocks and the herds. If you look at Genesis chapter 13, beginning in verse 6, uh, we read a very interesting account that I think is familiar to a lot of us, but let's just look at that if you will. And if you could just stop and again remember how wealthy they were, all the animals they had. The Bible says the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together, for their substance was great. That sounds like a good problem, doesn't it? Right? rather have a lot more than a lot less, isn't it? So, you know, they're, they're so wealthy. God has blessed them so tremendously that it's just almost impossible for them to stay together. And the Bible says there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's cattle and the herd, herdsmen of Lot's cattle. You know, it kind of reminds me of one of those old westerns you might see, you know, where they get into some kind of cattle war over land or whatever. I just kind of see a little strife happening here, a little contention over, you know, the land and whose cattle gets what and so forth. Besides those people, besides Abraham's cattle and Lot's cattle, the Bible says, and the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled in the land. Now, Abraham's a wise man. Notice what he said here. He said to Lot, let there be no strife. I pray you between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen. Why, Abraham? For we be brethren. Now there's a point there that I think needs to be made that really is not an intentional point that I'm going to make in this lesson. But I think every one of us ought to take what Abraham said to heart. And that is, there just ought never to be any strife among us in the body of Christ because we are brethren. And the Bible says about the church today that we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. Now you think about what it's like when maybe you see a terrible car accident. Isn't it tragic to see the human body just mangled and, you know, <clears throat> destroyed during an accident like that. You know, it, it hurts us to even think about that, doesn't it? But folks, it's a thousand times worse for the body of Christ to be divided and for division to take place among brethren in the Lord's church. And as Abraham said, it just ought not to be, for we be brethren. So I kind of wanted to share that with you to start with. I wish we could take several uh, moments, maybe a lesson or two, and talk about the importance of unity in the body of Christ. Because unity is not something that just happens to exist. It's not a luxury. It's essential. You know, the Bible says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. If you're going to have unity in the Lord's church, you're going to have to work for it. 
doesn't happen automatically. That means I can't get my way all the time. And what's good for the church here as a whole is far more important than what may be something good in my opinion or what I want or what I desire. And so uh, I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, but just think about that particular verse there. Uh, Abraham stressed that strongly. Let there be no strife between us because we are brethren. He said, it's not the whole land before you. He said to Lot, separate yourself, I pray you, from me. And if you take the left land, I will go to the right. If you depart to the right land, or the right hand, I will go to the left. What kind of attitude does Abraham have here? Huh? He's got a good attitude, right? He's not wanting the best for himself. He says to Lot here, is inferior in some ways. He says, you choose first. You know, again, that there be no strife. And Abraham's going the second mile to ensure there is no strife. He says to Lot, you go to the left, I'll go to the right. You go to the right, I'll go to the left. Uh, you make your choice. And uh, the Bible says here, and Lot lifted up his eyes. Bible says things which are seen are temporary, right? Things which are not seen are eternal. We'll touch on that in just a moment. But Lot lifted up his eyes and he beheld all the plain of Jordan, how it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord. You know, we've, I've always thought, you know, how amazing it would be to be able to see the garden of Eden, wouldn't it? as it was back in the days of Adam and Eve, what a marvelous place that must have been. And apparently, where Lot wanted to take his people and his cattle could be compared somewhat to the garden of the Lord. And he said, like the land of Egypt, as you come unto Zor, then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves one from the other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain. He pitched his tent towards Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. So we'll remember that in just a minute. Now the next mention of Lot is over in Genesis chapter 14 and verse 7, where we're told that Lot now dwells in Sodom. Four chapters later, uh, uh, we have God announcing to Abraham that he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of the grievousness of their sin. We also, in that chapter, have, have God pleading on behalf of the city where Lot is, praying for Sodom, in which he gets God to promise to spare the city if they could find just ten righteous souls. Just ten. That's all. I'll spare it if you could find ten righteous souls. Now, if you look at Genesis chapter 19, and I hope you'll turn there in your Bibles for just a minute. In Genesis chapter 19, uh, we find Lot sitting at the gate of the city. And I want us to notice some verses here. I think it's important that we look at it very carefully. The Bible says, Then two angels came to so uh, Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth. And he said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Well, apparently Lot had seen the hospitality trade in his uh, uncle, right? Abraham. Abraham was a man who showed hospitality. Apparently, Lot's going to show hospitality as well. He said, then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, no, we'll spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house and they called to Lot 
Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. You know, introduce us to your guest, right? We want to be hospitable. Is that what he's saying? No, not at all. You know, we've already talked about how the, the, the city of Sodom uh, was wicked and sinful exceedingly. You know, uh, they want to use and abuse these men. And uh, Lot went out to the men at the entrance and shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brethren, do not act so wickedly. And I'll never understand this part. Behold, I have two daughters who have never known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow Lot came to sojourn and he's become our judge. How we Now we will deal worse with you than with them. And they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But... The men reached out their hands and kind of brought Lot back into the house with them and shut the door, and they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. Now, if you've ever been in unfamiliar surroundings, you know, if it's dark at your own house, you've been there a lot, right? But someplace it's unknown and it gets totally dark, you, you don't know what to do, do you? And so you can just see them here trying to get in the door or whatever, and they just can't do it. And then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of the place, for we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against his people has become great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And so Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, that were to marry his daughters, he said, Up, get out of this place. The Lord's about to destroy the city. But Lot seemed to his son-in-laws to be jesting. They didn't take him seriously. You know, kind of lost your mind a little bit, or you're just jesting or whatever. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of this city. But he lingered, right? Why? Why would, why would he linger, you think? Who's still there? Well, his sons-in-law and his daughters, right? His two daughters. You know, they'd already said, you know, we don't believe this. This is crazy. You know, he, he's trying to stay you know, back and maybe do something at the last minute to save them. He lingered, so the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, and the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. Apparently... You know, God was merciful to them and gave them a little more time as they, uh, the two men seized them and brought them out of the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown uh, me great kindness in saving my life. But... I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it's a little one. Please let me escape there. It is not, uh, is it not just a little one, and my life can be saved? And he said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also. We'll spare this little city. You don't want to go to the hills. You think you can't make it for whatever reason. You go to this little city. For I can do nothing until you arrive. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zor. Now, in the next part, we read about God destroying Sodom. If you look at verse uh, 23, the sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And He overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground, but Lot's wife behind him looked back and became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord and looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. 
And so it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out in the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Now, to me that's a very, very interesting account there. And uh, uh, these things occurred probably 4,000 years ago. But in more modern settings, the events of this story are being reenacted in our society today. Even though it, this happened 4,000 years ago, uh, we see the reenactment of it and uh, with great frequency. That's why it's important for us today as Christians to look at the life of Lot, that we might learn the lessons that maybe Lot learned all too late. And so let's look at some things that we need to learn. First of all, in making his choice, talking about Lot, he thought only of material advantages. The Bible says Lot lifted up his eyes, and when he lifted up his eyes and saw the things that were temporal, the only thing that caught his eye was the advantages he might have in a material way. Uh, I think that statement is symbolic of Lot's problem. He seemed to be obsessed with the things that the eye can see. Uh, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. kind of puts things in perspective in this life. It says, For our lot of affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. Isn't it easy to focus on what we can see? You know? Uh, people today in our world are focused on the here and the now. Instant gratification. Uh, but God, through the Apostle Paul, tells us we need to focus on the things that are not seen. We need to focus on those things that are eternal uh, in nature. And uh, that's important. And so Paul makes that point, but Lot needed to learn that as well, and so do we. Uh, chapter 5 and verse 7 of that same book says, We walk by faith and not by sight. Now, Lot's choice was a very wise choice from a worldly point of view, wasn't it? You know, from a business standpoint, man, Lot's, man, he was, he was great in making that decision. Uh, you know, look at all the advantages that he's going to have uh, with all this luscious uh, green land and so forth. But from a spiritual standpoint, Lot's choice was a very foolish one. If you look at verse 10, again in our text, it says, Lot lifted up his eyes, beheld all the plains of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you come into Zor. You know, there's no indication here that I find that he, Lot even ever considered the evil influence, the environment that that's going to leave on his family. No indication at all that Lot ever considered how that this decision is going to impact his family spiritually. Uh, he had never learned the lesson that our Lord taught in Luke 12 and verse 15 that a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things which he possesses. You know, whenever we hear some celebrity or well-known individual in the community pass away, there's a lot of accolades that people make about that man, right? They always talk about his physical and material accomplishments, don't they? Now that makes him a great man. That's what makes him a good man. What he did on this earth, you know, that made him the kind of person he was. And, you know, we just simply, as a society, forget about, you know, what the Bible says and, you know, eternal consequences of not having contact with the blood of Jesus. And so uh, we need to understand that uh, this is just like the average person in our time. That's what success was to Lot. You know, the average person, the average parent thinks their child a success if they get a great job and make good money and have a family with very little thought about the spiritual, uh, the spiritual health of that particular child. 
You know, we view success from the way that the world views success, and many times we pass that along to our children. Now, how many times do we only think of material things when, you know, we're making a decision? You know, think about a job that's very lucrative, uh, a job that maybe requires an individual, even though it's very lucrative, maybe it's a position of honor or power in some business, and you make a lot of money, and yet you work on Sunday and you hardly ever have a chance to even worship God, much less, you know, guide your children spiritually. Or maybe a person chooses to take his family uh, to move because of certain recreational considerations. Maybe, you know, we're close to a big golf course or we're close to the river. Knowing that that particular move, as advantageous as it may be physically, is going to uh, hinder one's involvement and your family's involvement in the work of the Lord. It's going to make it very difficult to, to put the Lord first. And so oftentimes I'm afraid that uh, we don't do our children right when we allow ourselves to influence them to focus more on the physical rather than the spiritual. Uh, that's why I'm a strong advocate of Christian education. Uh, I've been to, in Christian education since I was in kindergarten. I uh, went to Freed Hardeman. And there's nothing wrong with attending a state school. My son, you know, the only place that he could go for the Marine option, ROTC, was Auburn. The only place in the state that he could go. I would have dearly loved for him to go to Freed Harvin, but he wanted to be a Marine since he was 15, and he was bound to determine that's what he was going to do, and that's fine. You know, but he still uh, associated with himself with a good church there and so forth, and I'm not saying that can't be done, but I think a lot of times we push certain things uh, on our children when maybe they could benefit more if uh, we made another decision. And, uh, you know, some uh, young people are more susceptible to the pressure that they have around about them than others. And so the point I'm trying to make is, you know, Lot made a decision, a decision that did not bode well for his family at all. He made it based upon the physical and the material and not the spiritual. And I'm not saying here that Lot was a bad man. He was a good man. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 7 says that he was just. The American Standard Version says that Lot was righteous, but his faith was weak, so weak that he did not nearly give enough consideration to spiritual values. And that's something that we need to consider about ourselves. What do we value? And how do we demonstrate the value that we place on spiritual things? And I'm not even saying right now that the choice Lot made was sinful. I'm not advocating that at all. Uh, it's not a sin to increase in one's material possessions. It's not a sin at all to, to make a, a better living. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. It didn't say money is the root of all evil. It said the love of money. It's your attitude toward material things that gets you into trouble, not necessarily the money itself. And so uh, it's not wrong to take a more lucrative job, but... His attention to this world and the things in it made Lot's choice a very foolish one, ultimately. All right, secondly, time's getting away from us. Lot's daring move towards Sodom finally put him there. You know, Lot, Lot started out pitching his tent towards Sodom. That's what verse 12 says. The next thing we read about him, he's a citizen of Sodom and has been taken captive by four kings who came against Sodom and carried away its inhabitants, its captives. And of course, we know that Abraham mustered an army together. He went and rescued Lot. He rescued all the captives. And you'll read about that in Genesis chapter 14. And I doubt Lot, in the very outset, when God, Abraham told him to make that decision, go to the left or go to the right, that he ever intended to wind up in Sodom. But when we move in the direction of sin, we're much more likely to find ourselves right in the middle of it. Now over in Psalms chapter 1 and verse 1, I think we find a process here that sometimes people go through. The Bible says, Blessed is the man that walks not 
in the presence of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. You know, here you are in a place where sin may be around you somewhere, and you kind of begin walking along, observing it, kind of taking it in a little bit, not involved in it. But before you know it, you know, we're watching it. We're walking around. The Bible says, blessed is the man that walketh not. Before long, after walking, he begins to stand, right? He's still not involved with it, but he's kind of standing around it. He's not really condemning it or, or uh, condoning it as such, but he's just kind of standing around it. But then the ultimate step, he begins to sit in the seat of the scornful. See, once you begin that process towards sin, you're going to wind up right in the middle of it. That's why we're told to abstain from all appearance of evil. Uh, we know that verse that says in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 22, Be not deceived, evil companionships corrupt good morals. I don't care how strong one is spiritually. You hang around the wrong people, and if we could just only understand our young people today and the pressure they're under to belong. There's such a sense among them to just want to be a part. And even though they may have been brought up in the church, it's very easy to compromise those convictions if you're not careful just to be a part. You know, I want to belong. I want to be a part. That's the power of peer pressure. And so we have to avoid that at all costs here. And uh, many people find themselves in the very degradation of sin that never intended to go there. For example, you uh, ask the husband or wife whose adultery has resulted in the loss of their family, the loss of friends, and they would never envision that this could happen just because of maybe the beginning of an innocent flirtation. You know, you ask the alcoholic if he ever intended to become an alcoholic, you know, when he took that first beer, that first drink of alcohol. Or you think about that junkie, that drug addict. That person never intends to become uh, a narcotic addict when he first experienced with something like maybe marijuana or some other drug. You know, I'm seeing more and more people who have destroyed their lives and the lives of their family. They don't know their children. They aren't really aware of them and where they are and what they're doing because of drugs and their addiction to drugs. It is a terrible thing, and it is in epidemic proportions today, and not only in this city, but throughout the nation. I know there's one young lady that I'm familiar with. She began at age 12 to maybe recreationally experiment with drugs. She got involved with it. At 22, she took her first shot at meth, but she was hooked. And this girl that seemed to be so good and have a decent home has now been admitted to rehab nine to ten times, but she never will stay because she don't want to get better. Got three kids, but she never sees them. And now this girl that her mother loves dearly would turn on her own mother and even physically harm her because she's got to have those drugs so much. You think she ever meant to get to that point when she first started? Of course not. A thousand times she never intended, but that's what sin will do. In sin, you'll go further than you ever wanted to go. You'll pay more than you ever wanted to pay. And you'll stay longer than you ever wanted to stay. And so, we don't need to see how close to sin we can get and not do it. We need to stay as far away from it as we can. But quickly, Lot's careless, carelessness proved fatal to at least two of his children. Uh, he said, Behold now, I have two daughters who have not yet known a man sexually. Let me, I pray you, bring them out to you and do what is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing, for therefore they came under the shadow of my roof. I'll never understand that offer. To save my life, I'll never understand what Lot was thinking.
I know uh, the Bible has taken a lot of heat because of the degradation of women. The Bible elevates women. The Bible brings women up to uh, where they need to be and what God meant them to be. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. You know, Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who had married his daughters, and he told them to get out of this place and to, uh, because God's going to destroy it. And it just seemed like that he was kind of jesting and mocking. And so at least two were married, but they did not escape the destruction of Sodom. Now, if you told Lot that this was going to happen, he would have laughed, wouldn't he? He would have assured you there's no way this will ever happen when he chose the good land to start with. Now, this happened because of a choice Lot made, not because he was an infidel, not because he was a wicked man. You know, if you let your children know that you're more interested in temporal things than in spiritual things, <clears throat> you're going to lead them down the same path that Lot led his children. You know, Solomon said, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he's not going to depart from it. That's a general rule. Now, if that were 100% true, that would teach the impossibility of apostasy, wouldn't it? But that's a general rule. You train up a child in the way he should go, and generally, you know, he won't depart from it. But when a child becomes an adult, he can make his own decisions, right? So sometimes they may not, a child may not even remain true to what you taught them and how you led them, even though you tried your best to lead them in the right way. But what this is talking about here is the opposite's true by your actions. Do you teach him that Bible study is not important? You know, just for almost any reason. We don't come on Sunday night or we don't come on Wednesday night. You know, we teach them, you know, it's just not that important to always be regular in attendance. And you know, and they, they grow up and they're never consistently brought to worship. And parents are surprised sometimes when those children grow up and they're the same way they were. You know, it's going to happen. Uh, or we tell, teach our children by our example that it's okay to be worldly the way that we dress, uh, and the way that we uh, go along with the world in so many things, or maybe, you know, how we talk, to talk ugly in the presence of our children, maybe foul language, or uh, always criticizing the elders or the church or whatever. They grow up uh, with that. Or, you know, uh, let others be workers in the church. They never see you involved in working at the church or working for the church, but, you know, you'll be out there fixing the ball field all the time, or... You know, you'll do things for your job or for the community, but they don't see you involved in working for the church and let that make an impression upon them. Or maybe you hear somebody that put $10 in the collection plate and uh, yet you'll spend, you know, a couple of hundred dollars on a fishing trip or something like that. Children see that. They know that. They grow up observing that mentality and it makes an impact upon them. It, it cannot help but make an impact. Uh, some here are older, and uh, looking back, maybe you know what I, I'm saying is true, and that's why we need to warn young couples, those who are bringing up their children. We need to be mentors to them and try to help them uh, to bring their children up in the way they should go. Time's getting away. Let's quickly move on. Lot's poor choice eventually, eventually cost him all of his wealth. Now, we know how rich he was, right? Uh, but what happened when... Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed and all the cities were destroyed. He lost it all, didn't he? He lost everything. Uh, he's no longer uh, in that city. You know, he lives in the city. He's no longer a wanderer. He owns his own house. But there was not ten righteous people there in that city. And uh, he seems to have made no effort to try to influence the citizens of Sodom and to do what's right. Uh, he's content maybe to leave things exactly the way they were. And uh, what's really important to him was his wealth and his house and his family being comfortably situated. But now there's a day of accounting coming in that you can't take it with you. His house and his wealth are left behind in Sodom to go up in smoke. Uh, his wife looks back. She becomes a pillar of salt. He loses his two daughters and his uh, sons-in-law in the uh, destruction of Sodom. And uh, it wasn't because Lot was an infidel, it wasn't because he was wicked that all these things happened to him, but it was his choice to emphasize the wrong things. That's what happened to it. 
And we need to understand the time is going to come when we're going to relinquish uh, our claim to every material thing that there is. And we need to understand that. You know, Jesus tells us, lay up for yourselves treasures upon... Do not lay yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. Why? Lay them up in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. See, the only thing that we're going to keep is that which we give away. Who owned your property a hundred years ago? Do you know? Some of you may have those, what do you call it, the deeds, you know, or whatever. What do you abstract that has all that information on there? You might go back a hundred years. Who's going to own that property a hundred years from now? Are you? You don't, you don't have any idea who's going to own it. And you're not going to have a say in it. Well, you don't. You technically you don't own it now, but you know, we always talk about my car, my property, you know, my land and my possessions. It's not yours. You're not going to, you're not going to take it with you uh, when you leave. And so uh, we need to understand that the material things that we emphasize so much are temporal in nature and they will not last. Now, inspiration does not tell us about Lot's last years upon this earth. does not tell us about his death, but we can imagine... Uh, those last years of Lot were probably filled with sorrow and remorse and regret. Uh, John Greenleaf Whittier wrote in 1856 these words. He said, For all sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest are these it might have been. You know, how many times in those declining years did Lot say, I wish I had never taken one single step towards Sodom. But life doesn't go backwards, it goes forward. Elizabeth Akers Allen wrote, Backward, turn backward, O time in your flight. Make me a child again just for tonight. That's not going to happen though, is it? Uh, We better make the right decisions where we are right now. And so, think about which direction your life is moving tonight. If our life continues to move in the direction that it's currently going until you reach the end of your life, will you be able to look back and say, you know, I'm glad those are choices that I made. I wasn't perfect. I didn't make good choices all the time, but I'm glad I made the choices I made. Or will you come to the end and be filled with regret and remorse because you realize you failed to understand what true values are. And so let's think about Lot. Let's learn from Lot. Uh, Let's think about Lot in a way that can motivate us to focus on what really is important in life. I see the classes are dismissing and it's 742, so uh, thank you very much for your attention tonight. I appreciate it. I hear something.
It's time for us to go ahead and get started tonight, if we can, please. We, uh, first of all, want to begin by expressing our sincerest appreciation to you for being here tonight. I know uh, we have several that are gone tonight. Many are gone to camp. Others who weren't at camp all week have gone to visit, and uh, we also have several who are out of town on vacation. So we want to wish everybody safe travels uh, whenever they come home. And uh, we look forward to being all back together very, very soon. But, you know, summer's like that, isn't it? There's going to be something that takes a lot of people away throughout the summer. So uh, let's remember uh, those as they travel in our prayers. Please get a bulletin tonight. Uh, it has an updated list of those that are sick, so please take note of that. We want to express our deepest sympathy to Stephen Hodgin and the death of his aunt, uh, Frances McNatt of Tishomingo. That funeral service was last Sunday. Also, the Freed Hardeman University Associate Salad Lunch is this coming Friday, uh, June the 24th from 11 to 1 in the Annex. Uh, it's $10 a plate. You can dine in or carry out. And uh, if you want to buy a ticket in advance, then just see one of the uh, Freed Hardeman Associates. And that's going to be a very good event. We encourage all of you uh, to pass the word on about that and uh, plan to participate yourself. Golden Circle is planning to have their breakfast together at the pit stop uh, in Corinth this coming Monday. Uh, we'll leave the annex at 8.30, and if you've never gone or hadn't gone with us in a while, try to go with us. I think you'll really enjoy it. Also keep in mind that we'll be taking the bus to some church events that are coming up uh, this next week, uh, Monday and Tuesday. And so if you look at the bulletin, it's got the specific times of when we're going to be leaving and uh, I know Ken's going to speak on Monday night at Marietta. Mike Eaton is going to speak on Tuesday night in the gospel meeting. And uh, the, the bulletin has the specific times that we're going to leave. The pantry item uh, this week is canned soup. Also, I have a couple of extra announcements that were handed to, handed to me. Uh, Ty Simmons, age 13, he's the son of Glenn and Jessica Simpson. They attend the Theo Church of Christ, they request our prayers for their son, Ty. Uh, apparently, they found a mass around, uh, behind his eye, and uh, they're very concerned about that, and they desire that we pray uh, for Ty and for them as they seek out the proper medical treatment uh, to take care of that. Also, we received this just a few minutes ago that Wade Davis, uh, the preacher for the North Renzi Church of Christ, is missing uh, several are currently looking for him, including the sheriff, and uh, we want to pray for Brother Wade and his wife Sue. I know them, and uh, we hope that they can find Brother Wade uh, safely. So please pray for that family as well. Uh, that's all of our announcements tonight for our devotional. Uh, Brother Joe Garrett's going to be leading our singing, and Brother Tommy Barragona will dismiss us in prayer. We'll mark in your songbooks uh, 902-902. This will be the invitation song. It's proper time. <clears throat> Nothing but the blood. When you get that marked, open your books to 753. 753. This, we'll sing the first and last verse of this song. And that uh, announcement, that was Glenn Simmons. Glenn Simmons and uh, his wife Jessica's boy. <clears throat> Let's all sing. <clears throat> Tempted and tried, we're hoping to wonder why it could be
Tonight, during our auditorium uh, class, we talked about Lot, and we talked about the fact that Lot made a very poor decision when Abraham told him to take his choice of land. You go to the east, I'll go to the west, and vice versa. And the Bible talks about Lot lifting up his eyes, and Lot wasn't focused like he needed to be on spiritual things. His focus was strictly on the material things of life. His focus was on the temporary. And he ultimately made a choice based upon the material things, the temporary things that cost him so, so very, very much. You know, Paul talked about this very idea, and I think issues a challenge to us as Christians today. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18, the Bible says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Paul says we need to take our focus on those things that we observe every single day, the cares of this world, the problems that we have, the, the things that appeal to us in so many ways. Paul says we don't need to be focused on those kinds of things. Those things are temporary. Instead, we ought to be focused on those things that are eternal. He goes on to say, for the things which are seen are temporal, the things which are not seen are eternal. We as human beings naturally focus on what our five senses can see and observe, don't we? It's easy to get caught up in the things that are right before our eyes every day rather than those things that we cannot see. But by faith, we know that are real, and by faith, we trust that those things that are eternal are those things that are most important. And so tonight, I ask you the question, where is your focus tonight? I think the fact that you're here tonight does say something about your focus. I think it says some positive things about your focus, but it could be tonight that maybe you've lost that sense of focus. You become sidetracked because of of some sin or maybe an attitude of, of lukewarmness and maybe tonight you need to come and make your life right or it could be tonight that you need to make that decision to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, to come and demonstrate your faith in Jesus as the Son of God by repenting of your sin, by being baptized into Christ upon the confession of your faith in Him, and you can leave this building tonight forgiven of every sin you've ever committed. You can leave here a child of God. And so tonight, if you're subject to heaven's call, we ask that you come now while we stand and sing. Father, thank you for the opportunity that we've had tonight to gather at this place and, and listen to your word being taught to us. And Father, we pray that your word will not come back void, that, that the things that we've heard tonight will help us to live better and to be better people in your sight. Father, we pray that you'll be with all, all of those that have been mentioned as sick. 
We also pray tonight that you'll be with the Simmons family and the Davis family during their their time of, of troubles at this time. We pray that you will give a good outcome to both of these families. Be with us as we leave. Help us to go out and to show the love of Jesus and the community about us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.